Okay, so we start we start Ruth, the book of Ruth here, with the sojourn in Moab, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So we want to look at the first question here. And it says, when did the events of this book take place? During the judges, right? That's right. During the judges. In the days of the judges is how I, how I wrote it here. Um, because that's what it says, in the days when the judges ruled. So, all right. So, number two, they want us to identify the following characters. And I think most of this is pretty simple. Elimelech. Naomi's husband, right? Uh, Naomi, the wife of Elimelech, right? Kind of. Those were the those were the first two characters or people, right? So, okay. She's the mother of Malon and Chilion. That's right. Excuse me. Um, okay. So then, well, then who is Malon? The son of Naomi and Elimelech and Chilion, his brother, also the son of. Okay, so, so Orpa. Who's Orpa? The wife of Chilion, right? Or Ruth's sister-in-law. Since this is the book of Ruth, I mean, we can think about this in reference to who they are to Ruth, if you want. Right, and daughter-in-law to Elimelech and Naomi. Right, okay. So, and then Ruth, well, Ruth is, I mean, the book is named after Ruth, right? So, I mean, this is the person that we're trying to pay the most attention to, I will say. I will say it that way. Um, so, who is Ruth? Naomi's daughter-in-law, her and Orpah are both Moabites, right? Or they're from there in Moab. And she marries Malon and becomes uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law. So, yes. Oh, okay. My, I have the King James Version. 
I have the New King James Version. Let me look back. It's in. And it just said they took the wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. So right. But it actually, yeah, if you read the whole book, let me see. Um, I thought we had a question for this. Oh, wait, there we go. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 10, it tells you that Malon is Ruth's first husband. But you have to get to the you have to go practically to the end of the book to see that. I had to look too because I was like, why is it not just telling me this right up front? I, but it didn't. It didn't. I had to do the same thing. And I thought I had made a note, and I did. I made a note here. So yeah, Malon was Ruth's husband, but you do have to go to chapter four, verse ten, to see that. I couldn't find it anywhere before that either. Now, uh, now Ruth's sister-in-law Orpah, I had read, uh, I had seen where someone said, and this was online, so we know how that is. That can be. They had uh, they had said that uh, Orpah was uh, and Ruth were actually sisters, but that's not true. Naomi actually says, you know, that Orpah was her sister-in-law when she tells them to go on. Uh, she tells uh, she tells Ruth to follow her sister-in-law, not her sister. So, anyway, that's just something to be aware of. All right. So, number three, unless there was anything else on their family relations, number three, uh, what caused Elimelech to take his family into Moab? A famine. There was a famine in at least in the area there with Bethlehem. I don't know how big of an area that would have been, but nonetheless, it must have been big for him to leave that to go all the way to to leave to another country. It was probably a big famine. You're, yeah, at least that was my thought. That makes sense. Okay, so. Then what? Then it asks, what does Leviticus? And it gives us chapter twenty-six, verses three through five, and verses fourteen through twenty indicate about such times. I uh, made a, just a small note about it and said, if they kept the commandment, God would bless them with food. But if they did not. Their crops would not yield food, and that is leaving a corner in their field for the poor. And that's what Boaz did, because he was under the law of Moses. And that is what these verses indicate. They're talking about God blessing them when they were following him and following what they're supposed to do and doing the way the Lord wanted them to do, and then the problems, the famines, the bad things they would have happened if they were not. Yes? Yeah, the suffering, the, the good things, the blessings and the good things would come if they followed the Lord, if they followed God, and then the curses, the bad things would happen if they did not. And it's plainly stated in those verses, which I thought I had...
marked here. But I guess I didn't, so sorry about that. But we can look that up. Like in Leviticus 26 there, verses 3 through 5. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season, and the land shall, shield its shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. And that was the promise if they followed. And then, of course, if they didn't follow, if we go down to 14 through 20. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins, I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. So that's plainly what God was saying. And obviously, for there to be such a famine there, they were not following the Lord. Yes. Right, the area of Bethlehem was supposed to be a very fertile area, but it was not producing at this time. And you said it was the, that it means house of bread, right? House of bread. So that's a that's an interesting thought in many ways, I guess, because we could relate this back to Christ and Him being the bread of life and being born in Bethlehem, and so there's a lot there. If we think about that, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the, the famine that uh, Joseph's family was having, and they had to go somewhere else. Yep, they had to go down. Well, they didn't have to go down. Well, they did go down into Egypt. They did have to go yeah. down into Egypt. Yes, they did. I started to say that, and then I thought I was saying it wrong, but that is correct. They did have to go down into Egypt. Yeah. Yeah, that is like that. All right, so number four, in the light of, now this says in the light of 4.11, and Genesis 35.19 and 48.7 and Micah 2, what is the meaning of Ephrathites in verse 2? Now,
So you wouldn't want to... The uh, Ephrathites, they were people from Ephrath or Ephrathah, as it's mentioned two different ways, which the Bible tells us is at least associated with the Bethlehem area. And some scholars, I, I read some scholars say that it is, that basically Ephrath and Bethlehem are the same place. So now I thought of it as Ephrath being at least in that same area, but I didn't know if that was that. But uh, let's see. The word Ephrath in Hebrew means fruitful. And then, as Kim was saying, Bethlehem means house of bread. And most scholars do believe that that's two names for the same place. Maybe Ephrath was the old uh, previous Canaanite name, possibly. In the reference in uh, Micah, it speaks of the birth of Christ. In the second verse of the fifth Right. Yes. Okay. So Micah chapter 5 verse 2, but you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, and it says, it, it uses those two names as if it's one name here, but you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, hopefully I'm saying that close to correct, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Yes? Um, another thing I read was that Rachel's tomb was somewhere near this area of Ephraim or Bethlehem. One of these references does reference the fact that uh, Rachel's tomb is in that area. Um, Jacob? was coming back when Rachel died, or was coming to this to Bethlehem or to that area when when she died. There is one of these references is to that. I forget if it's the Genesis thirty five nineteen. Is it thirty five nineteen? Okay. Okay. So Yeah, so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, and Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. So that is that reference. And then 48.7 being another reference to this area. But as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So on the way to, very close to that area. So, but Ephrathites were people that lived in that area. That was the idea of the question. I guess we got off track. <laughs> yes, what? Oh. Which goes back to that So, okay, so. It was a small clan 
they were a small clan within Judah, so Ephrathites were, mm, okay. Yeah, I'd, right. Why? If he was born in that area, if that family was from that area, but I, I don't know. I, I don't. I didn't. I didn't see that specific thing. Let's see. So, was there anything else on the first little bit there? All right. So, for the next piece. We'll read uh, the next 12 verses here from Ruth. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, and this is Naomi, of course, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So obviously the famine was over, right? Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should, ha if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law, now this is Naomi again, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw, and this is Naomi again, uh, when she saw that she was determined, being Ruth, when she saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her, which that's not literal. She quit talking about that subject with her. She did not discuss her staying anymore. She just with her. Right, right. She didn't really totally stop speaking. I, I, I just think that's kind of funny that it says it that way. But, um, all right. So number five, were the decisions made by Orpah and Ruth only a matter of loyalty to their mother-in-law, or did they involve spiritual considerations, or what do you think about that? 
when she's talking here and she says, uh, your people shall be my people and your God my God. So, so yes, she's, she's uh, where you die, I will die, and they're all So she's, she's taking uh, Naomi's God as well. Right, she is. And I, this is just me personally. I think that she's seen that example from Naomi, from Elimelech and, and his sons, her husband. And I think she's interested in God. Not that she isn't loyal to Naomi, because obviously she is. She does plainly say that she's loyal to Naomi and that she wants to stay with her and follow her. Yes? I was going to say, it's sort of like people today. You have some people you can talk to about the gospel, and they're real receptive to it. And right. there's others that they don't care one way or the other. And I think um, Ruth had a tender heart for the truth. And... And it said that she really didn't have anybody to go home to. And she she loved my, uh, Naomi as really her own mother because evidently she didn't have anybody to go home to. And what? so that, I think that's why she said that. Or maybe Orpah, she had people to go home to and maybe she didn't have a tender heart for the truth. Maybe, because that, that is a thought too. What did Orpah have to go home to versus what did Ruth have to go back to? I, I don't know. I don't know if that's totally answered here. Uh, but definitely, Ruth seemed interested in becoming, you know, a follower of God. So, let's see. Um, so yeah, I, I believe that she saw her example and she was interested in God for that reason. And I think that's why she stated that the way she did in that she said, she didn't just say that she would follow you and, you know, and you, your people will be my people, but she says, and your God, my God. So she includes that. Well, she did, didn't she? That's right. Naomi did say, go back to your gods. Well, she says, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. She made a decision instead of the idols. She wanted the real God. Yep. She had seen Naomi's example, I believe. I think so, too. Okay. I know when I was a young woman, I was 18 when I got married, and my parents, neither one were Christians, and they didn't live a very good life, and my mother-in-law did, and I felt like she was kind of my Naomi, and I was her Ruth, because uh, she had the example set for me to follow, and uh, and then her, her whole family did it, they were all very religious family, and they were quite an example to me. So I kind of cling to the story a lot. And it's good to have it. examples. That's one thing. See, the, just their example, the way they lived, most likely is what drew her to God. So that, it's a lesson for all of us just in that. There's something to be said for Ruth and her courage. She was willing to abandon her past and her pagan worship and the gods that were in Moab and her and she wanted to exchange all of that to worship the one true God. Right. She wanted to give up. 
Right. It was more than that because she was giving up her whole past life to follow God as well. Right. And, yeah, we, we don't know all the details of that, but still, that's, that's a big decision for anyone. So, and this is a very open-ended question. Number six says, list characteristics of Ruth paying special attention to qualities brought to light by the situation she was in. Does anybody want to mention any of her qualities? I mean, we've touched on some of this, I know. Well, she was strong, and she was determined. You can tell that she was determined because she could pick up with Naomi no matter what. She was determined and strong, yes. Mm -hmm. And she was loving and kind. I mean, she had right. a whole lot of good, everything about her. She wouldn't have clumped with Naomi the way she did. Right, she had a lot of good qualities. Yep. And she... She felt the same um, loss that Naomi felt. Naomi lost her husband, too. And she lost... Ruth has lost her husband, so she yep. showed compassion. Yeah. Because they had the same things happen. And, uh, and then I think she realized that she was still her daughter-in-law. She yeah. showed respect to her because of that and loyalty. And if... Uh, Naomi needed food. She was there to help her find that food. Yep. She was very humble and committed. Yeah, she was humble and committed. Yeah. I had I had also mentioned that she was committed. She had kind of doubled down because she was going to. You know, if you're a betting person at the table and you've lost everything and you just kind of double down and keep going, and that's kind of what she did. She just said, nope, I'm going. I'm going this way. That may not be the best comparison, but that's a comparison if you think about the intent. And, uh, yeah, she was committed and loyal and dedicated and determined. And she was kind, and she really did look after Naomi. So now, question number eight. Well, let's see. Let's let's. Did I skip one? Ah, oh, thank you. Seven. How did Ruth react to her situation? Oh, and backing up to six for a minute. There was one thing I meant to say. She also she was not dumb. She was smart. She knew once they got. Uh, once we get past this and they get back to Bethlehem, she knows they need a redeemer. And if you remember reading that, she knows they need somebody and she's not done. So anyway, it's just something to remember. Um, but anyway, so number seven, how did Ruth react to her situation? She didn't blame God for the loss. Right, she didn't blame God for the loss, right? Struggling, you know, because we're supposed to 
treat others at least have ourselves treated. That's the golden rule. We lend to others. And she sure fulfilled that. Yes, yes. And you're right. I mean, she could have reacted as any of us might be tempted to react, you know, being sad or disheartened or bitter. Does anyone have anything else? And she could have gone back to her old ways. And she could have gone back to her old ways. She didn't have to follow Naomi or accept God. That's true. Because the Moabites were idol worshippers, right? So she didn't go back to that. So we don't know sometimes what kind of example we're setting in front of somebody. But evidently, um, like Addie said, the, the whole family, except for the sister-in-law, she was an idolater too, they set an example and Ruth saw that. Right. If she liked what she saw. Obviously she did. She wanted to stay with Naomi. She wanted to accept God and come back to live. I mean, think about, she's going to a country she's not from, and they're all going to be, I mean, basically you have to assume they're all going to be Jews, right? I mean, not to be, that's just the way it's going to be. They're all going to be these other people. They're all going to be foreigners. It would be like if I went to live in Iran, they would just all be foreigners to me. I, you know, that might be problematic for me, you know, in a lot of ways. So let's see, the next verses we have here are in chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, which I have trouble saying that, but it just looks strange, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. I think we have time at least for at least for this first question or two. Uh, number eight: Why did Naomi say, "Do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara"? She felt like the Lord had treated her bitterly, and that's what it meant bitter. Yes. Yes, and Naomi means pleasant, but Mara, like Pat was saying, means bitter. So she kind of blamed God for her problems, didn't she? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I was too when I thought about it that way, but that's kind of what she does. She's blaming God for her problems. So she really needed Ruth, didn't she? At this point, I think she did really need Ruth. Yeah, I think she really did. And. That may be why, you know, God through his providence was working in her favor and drawing Ruth to him to come with, with her. So then we have, okay, yep. 
Number nine, what evidence is given with regard to the time of the year the women returned to Bethlehem? Right, it was harvest time. It was the barley harvest. Now, the barley harvest, I, I looked, it takes about 60 to 70 days for barley to uh, grow and mature, whatever the right words are for that. So, there could be multiple a year. Now, this was supposed to be around the time of the Feast of Weeks, which would have been around, like, next year, the Feast of Weeks is going to be, like, on June 4th to, like, June 6th or something. I looked it up. There's some little schedule. And uh, so it would have been around the time of June, uh, you know, around the 1st of June in that general area. And it would have been approximately, I think the way they measure that, it would have been about seven weeks or about 50 days from the Passover to this Feast of Weeks. I'm not perfect on all the Jewish holidays, so. Let's see. And if you look in Leviticus chapter 23, 15, and 16, oh, here it is. The Feast of Weeks, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. And that's supposed to be represent the feast of when the Feast of Weeks is, and this is after the Passover. So, with that, I think we're out of time here, so we'll pick up with number 10 next week. I'm not very good about scrolling my page here, am I? Sorry about that. We'll try to get in a better habit of that. Well, since I have the invitation, I don't have to go anywhere. I just have to find my notes here. So I was looking at all of this for some reason the past few days or whatever has been making me think of God being like providentially looking out for us, the providence of God basically, right? And being thankful for that. And part of that too was because I read Psalm 124. So I want to read that to you. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. 
And I was thinking about this two different ways. <clears throat> Pardon me. Two different ways. Our country has been very blessed by the Lord, regardless of what some might think. You know, our money even still says in God we trust. It doesn't say we trust in the money. It says we trust in God. We don't trust in man. We don't trust in science. And we don't trust in ourselves, or I don't trust in myself. And the Lord has been with us. We would not have been the success we have been without God as a, as a nation. We probably would have never been free. The Revolutionary War could have easily just ended as some kind of peasant uprising that was quelled by the British Empire. The Civil War could have split us into two or even three or four different countries that would have been easily conquered by others or just been squabbling amongst themselves. We could have lost World War II and a huge chunk of the world could be ruled by Nazis. Now that was a very hateful and bigoted state. And sometimes I think people have forgotten what that really looks like, the way they talk about us. Still, God was with us and a large portion of us, a huge number of us, followed the Lord, and he made us prevail as a nation. He has blessed us. Now, if we think of this personally, how many times in our lives have there been that things could have gone horribly wrong? I know a number of times in my life I could have easily been killed. I believe that the Lord has saved me or kept me safe in those times. How many situations, though, could have turned out different in our lives? All of us have had hard times and bad times and unexpected things that happened. How many of those could have ruined us, either physically or emotionally or mentally? How many events in our lives could have been disastrous if we had not known the Lord, if we did not have the Lord with us? And how many times, how many things like that, events, were there that were a threat to us that maybe we were not even aware of. But God in his providence, working unseen, watched out for us, took care of us. A lot of times he works his providence, he works through us to help others, and he uses others to help us. That's a part of our job as Christians, right? We take so much for granted, and I can't help but think of being thankful and grateful. We should be grateful for every day we have, every hour we have. It's more time with our loved ones and more time in our Father's Word and more chances to learn more about God and draw closer to God and to do good for others. For the Lord is our hope and our help and our shield and our salvation. And if you notice in verse 8, it says our help comes from the one who made heaven and earth. He made the universe and he is watching over us and he's teaching us through his word. So I, I would just encourage us all to be, to remember to be thankful and appreciate what the Lord has done for us and does for us every day, just in our daily, normal lives, just the little things. There's so many little things we have to be thankful for.
So if anyone here wants to draw closer to God, if uh, anyone needs prayers for anything, you know, we would like to help you if we can. Please come forward as we stand and sing.